in each situation, there are pros and cons. And what it does is it, it gives us this thing that's just ours. Like, what is your family about? And we're trying to get outside for a thousand hours every year. That's our goal. Uh, we've, we've mostly hit it or come close for the past decade plus. And it has given our family these foundational memories that are just ours. Welcome back to the RO Podcast. Hey, it's Joey Odom, co-founder of RO. And you may know this about me. My friends know this about me. I am an avid endorsement. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that. I really am. I'm an avid endorsement. I say that a little bit, you know, poking fun of myself. But I'm, I think I'm going to change. I think things are all going to change today because of the conversation I had with Jenny Urich. Jenny Urich she started an organization called 1000 Hours Outside, really an organization, really a movement, 1000 Hours Outside. And it is exactly what it sounds like. Every year, her family strives and she encourages other families to spend 1000 hours outside. And we talk in this episode all about the benefits of that, especially for kids. And it addresses things that we're all thinking about. And, you know, if my kids are 15 and 13. You, it's about college prep. And what if my kid is a prodigy? What if my kid's not a prodigy? And, you know, is it okay that my kid's three years old and does not yet speak Latin? Is that an okay thing? So we talk about, we talk about that in this four hour excursion that changed her life when she was discouraged as a mom. She was very sure she was a failure. Here's what's interesting about that story. She had three kids and just believed that she was totally failing. And this was her first good day as a mom with three kids when she spent four hours outside and that changed everything. And a movement came from that. It's it's so good. Her book, so this is all you know around the movement, 1,000 Hours Outside, but she just is releasing a book November 14th called Until the Streetlights Come On, and it goes through all the ethos, all the benefits of spending out time, unstructured play, and how that benefits kids in the long term. If you're a parent, this is going to change how you think about the time that you have your kids spend, the time um, the time that you spend. I, I ask a question at the end, what about for someone like me who's, you know, have kids who are 15 and 13 who may have missed the mark? Is it too late for me? And I love her answer there. So this is a great interview. You're going to love this. You're going to want to get a copy of the book. Uh, for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Ginny Urich. A few years ago, Malcolm Gladwell proposed that you become an expert at something when you've done it for 10,000 hours. If that's true, then our guest is an expert at being outside. And there's a good chance you're well on your way to becoming an outside expert because of her. When she's not admiring zinnias or on a hike, she's most likely in a podcast studio or on a stage. This Wolverines pack includes Josh Jackson, Vivian, Charlie, Brooklyn, and Winnie Joe. You might know her as Ginny, Virginia, Ginger, Ivy, Nini, Gigi, Nina, or Dingle, but you probably know her as the thousand hours outside lady. Very appropriately, it's dark outside, so we are talking after the streetlights have come on. Please welcome to the RO Podcast, Jenny Urich. <laughs> Jenny. That was amazing. So amazing. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, uh, you know, my first iteration. So we this is our we've been working hard at this. This is this this like moment is meant to be because we had three other times we were going to <laughs> talk. 
and they were all going to be outside. So we were going to do them outside. So my original, my original was, uh, in, incorporated a little bit of us, of us interviewing outside, but Hey, we're inside. That's okay. It is dark outside. And, and you uh, have a so plant. the streetlights are on. You've got a plant. So, you and know. I have a plant. Yeah. It's not a zinnia. I'm sorry. It's not a zinnia. It's, I know you're a zinnia fan. It's something. It's green. So it works. <laughs> so tell me again. So I, did I get all those right? Jenny, Virginia, Ginger, Ivy, Nini, Gigi, Nina, there, You know, Dingo, there are those? a lot of nicknames. So I was named after my grandma. Uh, my grandma, okay. Virginia, who was actually born in West Virginia. And so, yeah, certain names Ooh. just have a ton of nicknames that go along with them. I love it. Uh, that's so that's great. That's one of them. That's fun, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have established yourself as the thousand hours outside lady. And will, will you, uh, Ori, I'm sure everybody listening knows, but will you kind of orient the listener? Tell us, tell us a little bit about what thousand hours outside is, how it started. And then we'll get, I'm very excited about the book, which I, I told you before I absolutely devoured. I'm excited to get into that, but let's, let's get some orientation for people on kind of what thousand hours outside is. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And it's been such a cool yeah. path together. Uh, I think yeah. my husband found you a while ago and we have just loved using the RO box and the app in our home our oldest son is 15 now, so he has a phone, and he'll say he'll always tell us how much time he's got in there, and it's very motivating nice. for him. So it's been a real cool journey. And then through you guys, we met Justin Whitmill early, and I've read several of yeah. his books. And we actually already had one of his books, which was cool. But we're oh, able, did you really? yeah, we're able to make that connection. He always talks about you guys too. So it's just been an awesome he's thing. Awesome. Uh, we're you know we're trying to bring back balance to childhood, <clears throat> but this did not stem mm. from being amazing at anything. It didn't stem from being a person who loves being outside and who has really cool hiking boots. It really just stemmed from struggling as a young mom. And uh, that's my story is that when mm. our kids were little, even now, I'm just not that good at it. And I, I was expecting <laughs> to be, you know, you, you have these kids. You, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean you're not good at it? it? That's so funny. It just means that like, you're failing a lot. And I think when the kids were little, like uh -huh. I thought it was going to be this pretty smooth, you know, not perfect, but pretty smooth transition. Uh -huh. And I thought that it was going to be easier. And I was just underwater from the get-go. I felt mm -hmm. in a really dark place, actually, with our kids because, you know, I went from having a career and doing fairly well at what I was doing to being in the situation where I have kids that are crying all day and they're not sleeping and, and I'm just feeling really down about it. And so I lived several years like that uh, until one day I had a friend who told me about this woman named Charlotte Mason, who turns out she's from the 1800s, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, Charlotte Mason said kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather's tolerable. And I just remember thinking, that's outlandish. Like, who has time for that? Nobody does that. That just seems like a frivolous waste of time. But I ended up trying it with this friend because she asked. And so we met at this park uh, in Michigan. It was in September of 2011. So we've been 12 years at this where wow. she said, we're going to meet from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon and just bring a picnic. And I thought, well, what are the kids going to do? You know, we each had three at the time, or three, one, and a baby. So little, little ones. And wow. it turned out to be, I tell people it was the best day of my life because it was mm. the first good day I had as a mom. And I'd not had a good wow. day yet. 
I, no, that was and, and you and, and you had three kids at that time. It's, it's not as if it was just one infant, and that was the first good day as a mom. Yeah, it took me three years, and it was a good day because it was the first time I got a chance to catch my breath. The kids were mm. very engaged in their surroundings and with these friends, and we all went home refreshed. And then they fell asleep. <laughs> so that's like all in the car at the same time. So you know, my journey has been one of being in a spot where I was really drowning to thriving. And it just took one change. It took this one change of being intentional about getting our kids outside. And what I have learned over the last decade plus is that when you take your kids outside for an extended period of time, not like how typical American classes are 30 minutes or 45 minutes. But when you let your kids be out there for an hour or two hours, maybe a little longer, then they fall into this deep play and it helps Mm. them in their whole development. So it's helping their cognition. So it's going to help their academics. And these are all lifelong benefits. They last. So it helps their cognition. It helps their physical bodies. It helps them emotionally. And it really helps their social skills. And Kim John Payne says the primary predictor of success and happiness in life is our ability to get along with others. And so what happens Mm -hmm. when we take our kids outside for them and for us as parents or caregivers is that We're helping everyone and we're helping everyone in this multifaceted way that lasts. So it's not this frivolous Mm. thing. It's really a powerful tool to help our families. How was that sustained for your 15-year-old? Your 15-year-old was three at the time, right? So it's been 12 years for your 15-year-old. So how does, what is your 15-year-old's life like and maybe, um, Maybe their connection to the outdoors is it something very natural for them now? What is what is how does how is that connection from a young age? How does that played out for them now? This is it just gets more fun. This has been a really mm. cool journey with parenting. Things are always in flux. You have one yeah. season and things are always changing. You're doing potty training. You're trying to figure out bedtime. You're trying to figure out elementary school. Like it's always changing, but this yeah. always works. Just like how your mm. RO box would, it would always work, right? Once you hit hit the age of using a device, a phone, or a tablet, it always works. And that's been a really cool thing about getting outside is that nature meets us where we're at in our stage of development. Whether we're a newborn or we're 82, there's something out yeah. there for us. And so what's happened for us is it's gone from me being like a pack mule. So you used to have like this mm. double stroller, all the food, all the extra clothes, extra shoes, you know, kids' (laughs) shoes, they break, they fall, you know, they lose their shoes in the pond. You have all this stuff and you're carrying it all. Plus you're carrying the kids, right? Because they don't want to be, they won't sit in the stroller and they need you to hold them. So it's gone from looking like that to the kids are jumping off these high rocks up in the upper peninsula of Michigan and they're jumping down into Lake Superior or we're going on a whitewater rafting Mm. trip as a family. And so this is the one mainstay that has stuck with us now for 12 years. And what it has done is it has protected our family experiences because when the kids are little, it's very easy to not have any family experiences because it's a lot of work. You've got to get everybody out the door. And when you get home, you've got to unpack it all. So it's actually really worth your while to stay a bit. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of heavy lifting. (laughs) That's a good way. As the kids get older, and you know this, we've got kids that are similar age, you're Mm -hmm. expecting for it to get easier. And it does get easier. 
but it also gets busier because the kids have interests and they have things that are theirs. And it's not really maybe our place to take that away or to say, no, that's not what you're going to do with your time when you're 13, 14, 15, and you have these different interests. And so it has protected this space where we're still making memories as a family. So it looks like mm. maybe we're going on a long family hike on the weekends. Maybe we're going on two of those. Maybe we're getting together with some other families to do that, or we're having people over and having an outside chili cook-off or something like that. It looks different. It's definitely more fun. Uh, but it grows. <laughs> it has grown with our family. And yeah. I'm so glad that we have these foundational memories, but also the kids have learned their bodies. So they also have learned risk mm. management over the years. What can my body do and what can my body can't, what can my body can't do? And so yeah. they can do all sorts of incredible things because they've been doing it for a decade. Yeah. I love that. It the the uh, I want to go right into into the book until the streetlights come on, which even just the title, say it just it took me back to to you know 1986 Jinx Oklahoma me growing up six year old you know because that's what we did we we were you know we played until the streetlights came on and um and your 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 previous book the thousand hours outside was it was activities to match screen time with green time and you've also written little little farmhouse in West Virginia children's book but this to me this was kind of the ethos behind the movement mm -hmm. this was and, and what I like about it for you did a really good job in the book of it wasn't necessarily a prescription but it seemed like a framework because everybody has it it left it left room for people to color in themselves right it it to find find what works for you i assume that was the intent not mm -hmm. make it so prescriptive where it's where it's like because outside is not you yeah. know outside is is wild and, and and not prescriptive but it was a framework for people which which i really like that so uh, those are just a couple kudos. You did a really good job of, of that fine line because people want certainty when they're reading a book, but it's mm -hmm. also like leave some room for them. I assume that was the intent behind it. Yeah. And it can't be prescriptive, right? Because every family yeah. is uniquely different. And I do think that's a really special part of family life. And I also think that's a special part about getting outdoors because then we're launching our kids from their own unique thing. It doesn't have to copy someone else's. And so one of the questions that people ask a lot is, well, what if I live in the city? And that's the one that comes up the mm. most. But what's so interesting is depending on where you live, if you live in a city, if you live in a neighborhood, in a suburb, if you live in the country, there's pros and cons to each one. And so in the city, yeah. you have all sorts of cool things you can walk to. There's all sorts of bustling happening. Mm. My, my brother lives in Brooklyn, New York. And so we went and visited and he had all sorts of parks that were yeah. like within walkable distance, right? And so we would take our son. We only had one at the time. You go to all these really cool parks and you can walk there. Well, you know, you don't have maybe the neighbors to play with. You can't let your kid loose, especially a little one. But then in the neighborhood, you can't, you don't have things you can walk to, but you've got neighbors. So that is an enticing thing for kids, especially if you've got kind of maybe a neighborhood packed or something, or you've got a cool place where kids can go and they, and they get outside and they spend time with their neighbor friends. And that's a huge part of childhood. If you're in the country, you can let your kid run free, but there's no neighbors to play with. So in each situation, there are pros and cons. And what it does is it, it gives us this Thing that's just ours. Like, what is your family mm. about? And we're trying to get outside for a thousand hours every year. That's our goal. Uh, we've we've mostly hit it or come close for the past decade plus. And it 
has given our family these foundational memories that are just ours. And it looks yeah. different from every other else, everyone else's families. And it looks different year over year because the ages and stages of the kids change and our availability changes. I'm working more now. So there's mm-hmm. that. And um, so it does, it kind of works for each family in their own different way. And maybe they have a little bit of a different goal, but where you and you and I collide here is that the intentionality is really what makes the difference. Yeah. Because if you get outside, let's say for 400 hours in a year, what a win. What a win. Absolutely. Oh, you right. got all those memories you made together and all those times when kids are doing hands-on things instead of being in a two-dimensional world. So we say, even mm. if you fail, you win. Absolutely. And I love that. And and what what's so cool about this book and the way you, you start off the intro, and I think one of your, the very first things you say is, I, I'm not supposed to write this. And then you go into talking about how you wanted to give back your infant, which is hilarious. It, it's And I what I like about it, and this is one reason why you have such a great following of people, because people can't relate to you. You're very authentic. I, I, I didn't know what you said earlier that you didn't really, that you don't really like, you didn't really love the outdoors, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. I mean, that, that really is, but you found this outlet for it. Um, and this whole, there was something about the way you said it and, and you referenced it a second ago, after three hard years, you said, I happened upon a secret and answer hope. So the, that hope of play, I'm curious, what is it? Where did play go? Where, where, where did it, like, where did it, why is it, you know, we talk about 1986 for us, like that was such a thing we did. Like, where did, where did play go? Like what, what's happened in the last 30 years that play has, has been a lost art? I think it may have maybe flew out the window with the no child left behind thing. And I'm not quite sure about the time frame of that. I, I, if I were to guess, and from what I've read, I would say that's one of the main drivers. It's because all of a sudden, and people maybe would date it back even further, like the race to the moon, different things like that, where all of a sudden there was just this huge emphasis focused on academics. People also talk yeah. about the college admission process and how much that's changed in the last couple of decades with the college boards and having this ranking system. So they're trying to have more people apply to make their colleges seem more selective. This is actually happening. So more people apply so the colleges seem more selective. And then people are freaking out from the time they're, you know, they have a little one because they don't want their child to get left behind. And, you know, to say, Mm. don't be left behind, it turns childhood into a race. And we feel even like a program like Head Start, same thing. They may be doing great things for kids, but doesn't that make it feel like, oh my goodness, like they're getting a head start. So, you know, I've got to make Mm. sure that, and that's for little ones. That's for like three and four year olds. They're in these head start programs. And so all the verbiage changed to make this feel like it's a preparation for college. It's a rat race. Don't be a bad parent and let your kid fall behind. Things change and I, the pressure changed. And, and so I had this experience, just one of my own as a teacher, where I was helping get things ready for full day kindergarten here in Michigan, which that happened like overnight. I mean, kindergarten forever was a half a day. It's And it's also kindergarten is optional in a lot of states. In Michigan, I don't think you have to start school until you're six. So 
you know, hmm. it's, it's op- says it's optional. And in decades past, they say only 60% of kids went to kindergarten. It wasn't a thing that everybody did. Well, all of a sudden it becomes this full day thing. And the teachers were saying, these kids need to play. We need to bring back the playstations. I was sitting in all these meetings, bring back the playstations and, you know, let them have the doll station and the reading spot and the yeah. water table and the art. They, they have gotten rid of those. And the teachers mm. were saying, these kids are going to need to nap. And this is what they need for that second part of the day. If they're going to be here for a full eight hour, seven hour school day. Well, when it push came to shove, all that time went to academics and yeah, And so we're so focused on that academic piece. But ironically, when we let kids play freely, they move in ways that are complex and complex movements enhance the function of the brain. The whole structure of all the neural wiring gets enhanced and protected. And when kids Mm. play freely and imaginatively, it increases the connections between the two hemispheres of the brain, the corpus callosum, so those hemispheres talk better. So it's just a lot goes on during play that I think we've discounted because we can't measure it. Yeah. Well, and, and it would it would be one thing if our academics, if we were now leading the world in innovation and, and like we had 100% literacy, it's not as if our, with all of the, the focus on academics and pressure, it's not as if we've gotten, I don't believe statistically that much better in terms of like global literacy, you know, literacy across the, across the country or, you know, or achievement or advancement. So it's, that's what's funny about all of it is you can very easily rationalize and say, no, this is working. This is like, we sure. need to really put this focus on academics, but the results aren't there either. Right. So it's, it's, we're almost getting the worst, of the, 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 the kind of the worst of the two. You talk a lot about overscheduling, um, you know, instrument lessons and language lessons and languages and sports. You have this hilarious line in there. I love when you talk about the pressures on to prepare your child for college. You said the neighbor kids can already count to 300, play the cello. And oh, did I mention they're bilingual, which I got a, a real laugh out loud on that. But is the overscheduling, is that inherently bad? Is it, you know, someone learning to play an instrument lesson young or, or doing, you know, flashcards in another language? Is all that overscheduling or playing a bunch of sports is that bad? And if so, what what about that is is not good for a child's development? Well, by the way, I'm super guilty of this. Yeah, well, here, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's so many good yeah. options out there, and kids love to do stuff, and it's fun when they're out there doing things. I remember we used to have this. We lived in an area that was near an elementary school, and on the weekends we would be heading out for a hike as a family, and the parking lot at the school would be overflowed, like onto the grass, people are tailgating and they're there for kids sports because mm. we would always be like, where is everyone? We're out in the woods, you know, we're in a fairly populated area. We're not running into other families. Like, where is everybody? Oh, well, they're there. And then I remember the first time we put our kids in swim lessons and I was like, oh, it was actually like swim team. So I'm like, this is actually really cool. Yeah. Like I can sit up here on the sidelines and I can read a book or talk to a friend and they're being engaged with, with the coach. And I, I was like, I get it, right? Like these, these are, it's cool to watch them. It's cool to watch them improve. And for it's cool for them to improve, right? The issue comes when all of their childhood or a majority of their childhood is adult directed. Because what happens huh. is they lose the ability to self-structure. And the issue is that in decades past, in generations past, 
you would graduate from high school, you would graduate from college, and you would have a career that lasted your lifetime. You would have one set of coworkers, maybe a few people would come and go, <laughs> but you had a set of skills that lasted. What's happened is our world has changed so rapidly because of technology and all of these other things that that doesn't exist anymore. Our kids are not going to have a career that lasts mm-hmm. a lifetime. They say actually that coming out into the adult years that uh, a student, a, you know, a young adult will have four careers on average within their first decade of life. Four careers. That's wow. four coworkers. That's four. You know, you know how when you change a job or, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're starting something new. I mean, there's a lot of turmoil there, a lot of relearning, yeah. a lot of learning new things, a lot of adjusting. And so what we really want for our kids for a future that's changing, which is exciting. Change can be really exciting as we want them to be flexible. We want them to be able to have some inner resources that they can pull from. We want for them to be able to be self-starters and All Hmm. of those different types of qualities, they come from within. And so kids have to have, they don't have to have all of the time. It doesn't have to be like from the time school ends until bedtime, it's all yours. But they do need to have some time. And so the current statistics are that kids are outside playing freely for four to seven minutes a day but on screens for four to seven hours. Those were the statistics when we first started writing. Uh, But this just massive imbalance. It's not like it's close. It's Mm. it's wildly off. Four to seven minutes versus four to seven hours. And so a lot of people use the word unstructured play. Peter Gray, who wrote this amazing book called Free to Learn, he calls it self-structured play because it's coming Mm. from within and it's allowing them to become creative, our kids, and to be able to negotiate. You know, when you play with another kid, you don't want them to quit. Do you remember that as a kid? You know, you're like, well, gosh, if we get in a fight and they go crying home and I'm too bossy or I'm mean, they're going to quit. And I don't have a playmate anymore. So there's this intrinsic motivation and these outside forces for a child that help them to learn how to get along. That is that you just blew my mind with that. That's that's so true. So you would have to learn how to, in some ways, get what you want, but uh, you know, get something that's satisfying to you, but also that that works for the other person. And so you're right; it gets them into a place they're doing it. And what's what's interesting then? So you contrast that with a, a virtual world where you have all the playmates you want. You you can play if that person leaves the game. You got a bunch of other people. You may or may not even know those people if you're gaming online. Like it it doesn't even matter. So you have no goodness. That's um I think there's a book in just that statement alone. That's amazing, Jenny. Well, and that's an in- um, that's an interesting connection too that it has changed. And my brother has said that about dating apps that these dating apps yes. where you swipe it does feel that there is this endless pool of people. And so you become more picky because you're like, well, I didn't really like the way that person ate their peas. So I'm going to go on to the next <laughs> person or whatever it is. Yeah. So there's this yeah. endless pool and it used to be limited. And so that caused us, mm-hmm. I think, to be a little bit more introspective and to notice yes. how is this other person feeling and am I being too pushy? whatever the case may be. So there is a lot going on when we allow Mm. our kids to play without intervening, obviously intervene when there's blood or whatever. (laughs) That's the line when there's blood. Yeah. Jump in. They do need, they do need to learn how to get along and, and they can't learn it if we're always telling them what to do. 
many times when people come to RO, they've tried other things already. And uh, we get emails like that a bunch. I got one from Jared in Iowa the other day. He said, we're a large family and getting this part of our world more under control is something we've been trying to do for years. I'm still just getting things started, but can't wait to start using RO more to be more intentional with our time at home. I appreciate what RO is doing and we'll be sharing this with anyone who will listen. If you're interested in learning more about RO, just go to goro.com. Man, I want to jump to chapter two. You talk, it's the, the chapter, uh, chapter two is slow down and gain more. And you talk about, I was very fascinated by a couple of things. You talked a bunch about college here, but one of them, you talked about this concept of the child prodigy and that society is enamored with the child prodigy, which is so true. Again, I felt very, very seen this through most of the book. Will you talk about this concept of the child prodigy and how enamored we are and maybe maybe how we could reframe our thinking there? Well, there's hardly any child prodigies. That's the whole point. <laughs> Other there than is, me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> there is something about childhood and our kids. There's a really good book called Take Back the Game by Linda Flanagan. And she's talking about sort of this crazy culture of youth sports. There's a couple of really good books about youth sports. Um, and Luis Fernando Yosa wrote another one. Uh, and his is called Beyond Winning. But and Linda Flanagan talks about like what this is doing for us. Nobody really admits it, but she's like, you know, when our kid is the, is the superstar on the team, when they're the quarterback, you know, when they score the winning goal, when they're out there doing these incredible things, it does something for our psyche too. And so she talks about like, it can't be quite so such a big deal. Like it can't be that big of a deal yeah. for us. She says, have your own interests. Like she says, hmm. otherwise we make this was a really interesting thing. Otherwise, we make adulthood look like a big bore. If all we're doing is sitting on the sidelines, cheering them on, that's all we do. That's all adulthood uh. is. You spend your whole childhood doing these incredible things and growing, right? And having teammates and having this exciting life. And then you hit 18 and you're sitting on the sidelines. You hit 21. And now all you can do is, she says, like, sit there in the wasteland, the hot, you know, whatever, and, and cheer <laughs> on. And, and that's all you do. So she's like, no, develop your own interests. Do show kids that adulthood has got, they've got something to look forward to that. It's an exciting life. And so I think that there's something to be said about what having a child prodigy does for us as a parent. Like it just, we get a little bit of bragging rights, How, you know, we feel like, Oh, I must've done, you know, uh, that type yeah. of thing. And, and people look at you and it gives you validation and, and, so Linda says no one talks about it, but it is a thing. And so yes. it's important to have some balance there too, I think, with between cheering on our kids, but also not making too big of a deal out of those things yes. that are kind of fleeting. I mean, she says that there is not one study that shows that youth sports, this is pretty wild. I don't even know if I believe it, <laughs> but it, it, she's like really well researched. She says I'm, she doesn't, there's not one study in 40 years of research that shows that the benefits from youth sports extend their tentacles into other areas of life. And that's a big reason why people talk about youth sports. They're like, well, my kid's going to be a better leader and they're going to do this in the workspace. And yeah. she actually says there's not one shred of evidence to suggest that that's actually true. Wow. That's so interesting. I, I, um, I guess, I mean, I could see that I could see the value in, in that of, I'm a big subscriber to, to sports in general, but the, but you know, 
getting the play element out there again as long as it's not i i could see where it could you start seeing the detriment when you start seeing coaches screaming at third graders and yeah. fourth graders You're like that's not that's not good like you got to extend it extend it beyond that and I, I think probably i'd be interested when the benefit really starts kicking in because i could see that like it's if you stop playing baseball at third grade that probably didn't do a whole lot for you other than just making some buddies on the team but as you advance farther i could see the benefit of it but that, that's really really interesting and so the child prodigy stat, you said one in 5 million kids is a prodigy. And I found this stat, or I read this stat that in the Little League World Series, so this is the best of the best kids, right? Have you ever heard the stat? No. It's, these are the best of the best baseball players, kid baseball players. There have been 10,000 kids who have played in the Little League World Series. 64 of them have made it to the major leagues. Oh, so here wow. are. Is that amazing? 64 of the of the 10,000 who have participated. And again, these are the best players growing up. And so we all think we have this child prodigy. And I think, Jenny, I'd love your take on this. Wow. It is hard to stomach that your child's not a prodigy. But what good – I mean, I think exactly how to say this. Do you really want a, prod, a child prodigy? They haven't done anything to get that. They got. They were born pretty lucky. If a child prodigy hasn't done anything to get it, right? You haven't mm-hmm. achieved anything. You haven't worked towards it. You are just a prodigy. So is that even a great thing to have a natural born prodigy who hasn't done anything to to you know work hard and you know, strive towards other things? You know what I mean? Like, well, I would is that even that great hard. of a badge bottom? I would imagine it. And I would yeah. imagine that's a hard life for the kid. And so we all, yeah. you know, our kids come how they come. So we take them how they come. You get yeah. the child prodigy, great. You don't get the child prodigy, which is 499 million of us, whatever it is, you know, that you don't. And But you, you take your kids how they come. And I think that those two books are really good resources especially for youth hmm. sports because our kids play sports and they really, they like it. It's a good place for them to make friends. But if it if it borders on too much, that's when there becomes an issue. And I think this is what we're talking about when we talk about childhood. It's just this imbalance in those that beyond winning book and take back the game. And Linda Flanagan has this woman who says, look, I lost the whole childhood at Saturday's soccer games. I lost the whole thing. Hmm. You know, it, I don't have family memories. I don't have things to because you don't really remember. Like you don't remember the exact goal. You may remember a couple yeah. big games here or there, but you don't remember those specific ones because your brain encodes it all as one memory. If it's if it's a similar thing all the time, you're in the flat field, you're sitting on the sidelines. Your brain encodes that as one thing. But when you do things that have some variability to them, and really that's anything outside because the seasons are always changing and yeah. the experiences are different. You might walk and you see a deer this time. You see a rabbit. You you know, the, the leaves are changing. All of this variability, our brains encode that as a separate memory. So it actually makes our lives and our kids' childhoods feel fuller. So it's just about mm. – it's a balanced thing. It And I think it's really hard with youth sports in particular – because there's someone's career is on the line. So you've got a coaching staff, yeah. you have got a, maybe a massive building. I mean, there's things by us that are just these huge structures. So they're <laughs> dependent on tournaments and they're dependent on all of these things to meet their budgets. And so they need your kid there. They need your kid in it. So I think we have to be real selective and just careful that our kids yeah. also have empty space, that we are the guardians of the calendar and that empty space that is really what's going to prepare them. All these other things are fun and good, but we're talking about preparing them for 
who knows, right? They say that the jobs, yeah. I mean, they've not even been created yet. Kim Jong-un says in <laughs> 2030, by 2030, it's something like 85% of jobs will be entrepreneurs or people that have their hands in a bunch of different pots. This has really changed. And you start to see it, right? I mean, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm, an, I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. And I think that it can be really tricky if your whole life has been laid out for you. Do this, do this next. And then all of a sudden you're in yeah. this wide open space of what decision am I going to make? Who am I going to talk to? What am I going to do with this business? And it can be real tricky. But if your kid has a foundation... Yeah of doing that, then they're real prepared for it. So that, that, that is the segue maybe back to, we talked a little bit about college and what I, I want people to read, especially chapter two, talking about college, because that was a real eye opener for me. You're right on the selectivity of colleges and how when U.S. News and World Report started coming out with their um, their rankings, the rejection rate, how that shows like how good a school is. So they want you to apply. It's it's <laughs> They want you to uh, be rejected. Just, <laughs> they want you to be rejected. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating. Please do read that piece because it's because it's it's very eye opening. And you, then you talk about you said that if if you find the only reason you're doing something is for college resume building, consider taking a hard pass. So the the question I have there is: Is there a place for college resume building? I mean, it, it's at some point like how do how would somebody who does want to go to college how should they approach that? What should they be focusing on developing as parents? What should we be helping our kids develop in the side, inside of themselves because they will be eventually going to college? So where, what's, the, what's the balance there where, yeah, but you got to know face the reality that you will go to college. So how sh- where is the place for college resume building there? It's a very long way to ask that. No, question. I mean, it's, and it's a good question. <laughs> I think what's really tricky is that when our children are four, five, six, nine, 14, you you don't know. You really don't know where the path is going to go. What if they go into the trades? What if they become a hairstylist? What if they go Mm -hmm. into the military? So there's so, this is the thing that I always thought was odd. It's like you do your whole childhood the same and then all of a sudden people launch and they have a completely different adulthood experience. And so Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we siphon our kids just into one path and we only prepare them for that. And so if we only prepare them for college, but they want to be a trades kid or they want to do something they want to be an entrepreneur. I mean, some kids are entrepreneurs right out the gate. They're they're doing their own thing. They're working on their own businesses. Joel Salatin, who's this farmer, says every kid who's eight to ten should have their own business. Like they should be out learning how to deal wow. with customers and talking with people and trying out different ideas. And so I really am a big proponent, especially since our world is changing so rapidly. And there are so many different college options now. Like this isn't a podcast that we would have done 30 years ago. That was different. Yeah. When, when we're talking about now, now it's like the wide open West. You can do online school. You can do hybrid different situations. You may join a company and they're going to pay for your continuing education. So there's so many options out there that I I just think we cannot be so narrow-minded as to prepare our kids for only one thing. But I do believe yeah. that if we allow our kids to fully live today, which is that we're not squashing and taking all the time, that we allow them to fully live and be themselves and keep them off the screens, right? Like put their put their thing in the RO box, mm. turn it off, build up all of that time and and be excited about it, then they're going to be prepared for what what's to come. I just read this amazing thing and I'm trying to think of what book it was in. I think it was in Michael Easter's new book. He's got a new one out called Scarcity Brain. 
where one of he was talking to a professor and the professor said something like the best students are the B students. He said, because they are hustling. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to find it. Mm. I've got notes because I'm talking to Michael Easter, but he, the, the B students are the ones who are hustling and maybe they have two different jobs or something like that. And, or he said, wow. they're the ones that they think outside of the box. And he says that, Oh, it's right here. Here's what it says. Grades often misrepresent students. My most promising students usually don't receive an A. They don't receive an A. My most promising students don't receive an A. They're too free thinking or they're gritty hustlers who work 40 hours a week while taking on a full load of courses. My most promising students are usually in the B to A minus range. Come on, let's talk about oh, those gritty hustlers. God, how about the gritty hustlers? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a uh, sounds like a good like band name, the gritty hustlers. Yeah. Um, but think about that. I want this is what's so funny, Jenny. I would love it for my kids to be gritty hustlers. <laughs> However, I also really want them to have all A's. You know what I mean? It's such it's such like we have this like cognitive dissonance within our minds which we're just like, oh yeah, what like my wife and like our, our son was going through something really tough a couple weeks ago. And I just wanted to swoop in there and just fix it. I was just and my wife said, she goes, Joey, you know how we always say we want hard things for our kids. We want our kids to go through difficult times. We want them to be to build resilience. These are the moments. Like you sit back and talk about them like romanticizing the idea of like of your kids having to struggle through things. But then all we want to do is rescue them when they when they get in it. And you just have to like know it's going to suck, right? Like it's going to suck for them. It's going to suck for you. But that's like that's where they become the gritty hustlers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're really Ugh. wrapped up. I mean, I just think that parents of yesteryear were not quite so wrapped up in their kids. I mean, yeah. you hear the stories of, you know, I was talking to a friend. She said in their five years, she was five years old, just roaming the neighborhood and going. And she said they found this old abandoned house and the windows were broken oh, and they gosh. climbed through with these like busted windows. She's like, my mom had no idea where I was. <laughs> wow. And, yeah, and no now we're goodness, just, like... we're so invested. And I think obviously yeah. you want to be invested in your kid, but there is a place for taking a step back and like you said, letting them walk through their own hard things so that they come out ahead with the skills that they need for a rapidly changing world. Yeah, absolutely. Will, will you talk briefly about boredom? I want to, I want to hear about this, 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 the value of, of boredom. Um, and then maybe what, Maybe what ages we talk about kids experiencing boredom, but how can that also apply to adults? Is that is that a practice we should all kind of build in? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, Thank as you. of late, for myself, I've been real inspired by Jill Winger, and she's hmm. this homesteader, and she was talking about how when we use our hands, so in three dimensional ways, not on the screen, that it helps our brain release dopamine. So I've been keeping, this is so, I feel like an old grandma, but I've been keeping a little sewing kit with me, like this cross stitch Uh, after listening to her and just, you know, when I have the downtime, instead of reaching for the phone or, you know, put the phone in the R box, it's not right there. Then you have something else there to do with your time. Like you have a book with you, a novel, something, you know, when you're little, when your kids are little, you, you can't even imagine having 15 minutes or 20 minutes. But as your kids get older, I do think you can get stuck. You know, you have 15 minutes, what are you going to do with it? So I've been trying to have just like some cool enriching things on hand so that I don't fall into 
just scrolling my life away and, and wasting that time. Yeah. But for kids, you know, boredom is where they come up with something out of nothing. And I have a friend whose son went into mm. um he went into like he fixes airplanes. I'm not quite sure what that career is called, but this was like a pretty intense career to fix airplanes is, you know, a, a lot of math and science and different things he had to learn and when he went to get admitted to the program, the story is something like they this interview they only asked him one question. And the question was, did you play with Legos when you were a kid? That's the question. Wow. It wasn't like, hey, you know, did you take AP Bio? Are you in Calc 3? Mm. It, it was, did you play? Did you play? Did mm. you play with Legos? And have that time to construct and put things together and use your brain in all of these different ways. And kids are losing that. Dr. Nicholas Carderis, who wrote two fantastic books, one's called Glow Kids and one's called Digital Madness. It's all about screen use and how screen use is affecting culture. He says that he has people that come into his office. They bring their kids. They're two, three years old. And they don't know how to stack blocks. They don't know how to play with blocks. They don't know how to play. And Dr. Susan Lynn, she wrote some amazing books about creativity and the toy industry. And she said, it's not a given that kids know how to play anymore, that they're losing these skills. And so boredom is where they retain that. You know, have you heard that really cool? There's like that NASA, um, there's like NASA thing where like they have this test and it, uh, it's called maybe the Torrance test or something. And it, it measures creativity. So they were trying to find at NASA, like the most creative, who can think outside the box and solve our problems. And so they administer this test, you know, to their whole staff and they find these people that think outside the box and come up with all sorts of different solutions. And it really worked. This test for creativity, it worked. Well, they gave it to kindergartners and kindergartners is like 98% of them scored in the genius range. Crushed it. Crushed it. Wow. You know, but then they lose it so rapidly. They, they lose it by the time they're in their thirties. It's like, like five percent, you know, it's and and over the course of childhood, they're they're losing that. That number is just mm. rapidly declining. So it's like these kids already have like that secret sauce, right? They are they come yeah. into the world with creativity, with motivation, with exuberance. And so I think part of our job is to channel that and to help them not lose it. And what downtime does mm. is it gives them an opportunity to pour into that. And, and also it helps them release neurotoxins. So Kim John Payne says, when we play, when we have downtime, so this is for like kids and adults, you have this stress, these hormones and they're building up and this stress. And like, when you play, your body releases that. So he says he sometimes prescribes play three times a day because our kids need wow. that chance to kind of release and let it go. And so do we as adults. So something that when you talked about the NASA study, the creativity test, here's what's interesting about that is all of us, let's say all of us, all of us want our kids to be prodigies. We talked about that earlier. All of us want our kids to be prodigies. They're already freaking prodigies. Mm -hmm. They're, they are creative prodigies. If you want a prodigy, you have one already. But, and again, it, 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 with no malice in our hearts for most of us, there's like we, we deaden, we deaden that within them. And what if we developed it? I mean, what would that look like if we developed a bunch of kids? It, it would, it, it's almost, it's laughable when you put it in other terms, thinking about, let's say you have like the best, you know, 18 year old basketball player, like Bronny James, LeBron James son. And what if you said like, okay, Bronny, 
Now we want you to play baseball instead. We're just going to totally switch you. It would be laughable to take away this, like something he's so clearly good at to shift to something else. But if we're doing that with our kids who are so embedded with like this creative genius inside of them, yet we're deadening it to, okay, hey, now I want you to learn Latin instead. You know what I mean? Like not a terrible thing, but at the same time, like let's develop those. What a, what an interesting concept. Yeah, that they so already it, have it, it, that they're better than us. And I think that's a tricky yes. part. It is very well-intentioned. All of these decisions yeah. that we're making to enroll our child in this and to put them in, and that's what I was doing. I was enrolling our kid in this and enrolling in that program. That is how I was parenting because you look around and that's yeah. how we do it in culture. It's sort of the the sign for a good parent. But then when things shifted, and I, I mean, I have got this stack of like hundreds of books that talk about the value of what the mm. child brings to the table, of what they find is a worthy use of their time. And you see little kids, they're digging in the dirt. You know, they're shoveling yeah. things into a little digger. And it seems like a waste, but it is helping them develop in every sense of yeah. their being. And so it is very worthwhile and interesting in this Beyond Winning book about sports, what has been shown is that the best athletes have had a wide variety of sports exposure as a young child. So maybe they played a bunch of sports and then eventually mm. they specialize. But I think something like 70% of kids quit by the time they're 13. So it's not been wow. this amazing experience for them. It's been like you were talking about. And then you're like, well, what if you lost all those weekends? What if you lost all that family time and 70% are going to quit by the time they're 13 and only 64 out of the 10,000 that go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big, it's a big focus, but pickup games of sports mm. actually are really good for kids. Like, because that's when they're also learning how to come up with their own rules and negotiate. We did that all the time as kids. And yeah. they say kids don't get injured in pickup games of sports because they don't want to quit. So if they injure their friend, if they slam into their friend at home base <laughs> and then that kid goes home and quits, well, then all that time they put into figuring out how are we going to play this game with seven people or whatever it is, all of that yeah. time and effort and energy and mental fortitude is wasted. So kids, they, they, um, they have ability to be aware of their bodies and be aware of themselves yeah. and, and control that. I have two questions to to close. The first one is for I want to make this really approachable for a young parent, a parent with with very young kids, um, you know, in the you know toddler age or younger, not even having kids yet, maybe five or younger. What what would be in addition to going up and getting a copy of the book, which they need to do? That's the most important thing: is go by until the streetlights come on. Available November fourteenth. But what would be the what's the let's make a very approach. What's the the first step? What's the, the, the best next step for that young parent? Mm -hmm. I think you have to decide. I think you have to look at what's out there mm -hmm. and decide what is childhood going to look like in our family. So we're going to decide to be intentional. And what it does is it solves a whole lot of parenting problems. When I say, look, we're going to go outside. We have, we have this intentionality. Maybe I'm not going to hit it, but I'm going to decide that I'm going to give 500 hours of this year toward trying to be outside. I'm going to give 700 hours of this year to aiming for hands-on real-life experiences, knowing that this is going to help my child grow and have these lifelong benefits. Like Katie Bowman says, the osteoporosis is a childhood disease that shows up in adulthood because kids are supposed to jump and land and have this impact on surfaces to build their skeletal structure. Wow. So I think the first thing is just is 
making sure that you know mm-hmm. the right information and making a decision. This is going to help with your battle for screen time because our best days are the ones where we just run out of time for screens. We had a big full day and we ran out of time. So with little ones, I recommend finding a friend. That is my top recommendation. It's for safety, but it's also so that your child has other friends to play with. That is a game changer and you're building relationships as well. If you go by yourself, if you're always going by yourself to the park, to the hike, the kids grumble and complain and it's really hard to keep up with it. But if you've got a friend you're meeting, it changes the whole thing. Our kids are teenagers. They don't really want to go outside. They want to play video games. That's what they want to do. They want to text their friends. That's their inclination. But if friends are going, they're going to hop in the car and go, or they're going to go outside and shoot hoops or whatever the thing may be. So I always say you need three things. If you've got little ones or big ones, you need a first aid kit. That's important. You need food. (laughs) Bring some good food along. And you need a friend. You need a friend Mm. to to add that variability to the experience. So, you know, if you've got little ones, you could start with a weekend hike. If it's a half mile or a mile, you'll see that your young kids will get engaged with their surroundings. It'll take an hour and you'll, they'll hang on things and they'll sniff things and they'll grab things. It really, uh, you see immediately the benefits to the child and to the family unit. That's really, really great. I love the, the, the alliteration there, the first aid kit, food and friend. So last question is what about for a, a parent like me, a 15 year old and a 13 year old, I, I hear a lot of this and it does, it just makes me realize that I, I missed a bunch. Um, frankly, I, I was, <laughs> I've not been great at this. I, you're, you, you're going to hate me when I say this. I call myself an avid endorsement. <laughs> um, so I need, so, so I feel like if, if for a parent like me who may feel like they've missed the window, what do I do? Okay, Can so you've, not, yeah, Can you've never missed the window because this is okay. something that that anyone can enter into at any age. You could be 26. And, and there's people that do 1,000 mm. hours outside, have that goal, and they have no kids or they do it with their dog, you know, whatever. They're a grandparent. My dad yeah. does it, and he's a he's a retired grandpa. So the, the same thing applies at every age. It's the three Fs. Like you got to have your first aid kit because kids take tumbles, even teens do. But bring a friend. And bring some yeah. really good food for them. And and they can do challenging things. So when you hit 13 and 15, I mean, they can hike the huge trail. They can go zip lining. They can go canyoneering. They end up specializing is what seems to happen. Like they might like to skateboard or they might like to mountain bike. They might like to fish. And so when they're little, you're just kind of doing the same thing as everyone else. But as they get older, Kids fall into different types of interests. And so if that hasn't happened yet or you haven't been outside much yet, then just go on some hikes. You know, be together as a family, have some conversation. Go sit at a picnic table and play cards. Take your schoolwork outside. Take your reading outside because all that full spectrum light is helping your brain to reset and all these body systems depend on the day and night cycle. So it doesn't have to be anything exceptional. It can be, we had our breakfast outside and that reset our whole body systems because we Mm. were exposed to the morning light. So there is a lot of things that you can do that are simple to just, you know, just dip your toe in it. My story is that my life completely changed in one four hour excursion outside. That's it. I did it once, changed my whole life. And Mm. it has continued to uh, sustain our family as our kids get older and things get busier. And I, and I would imagine, I mean, I'll probably do it till I die. 
Yeah, I love that. Jenny, thank you. Um, I want everybody to go to 1000hoursoutside.com. Uh, I want everybody to, to subscribe and listen to the Thousand Hours Outside podcast. It's so good. You're such a great host. And we've, we, uh, we, we love listening and, and participating. And then go purchase a copy of Until the Streetlights Come On. It comes out November 14th. What did I leave? We'll put all, in the, all that in the show notes. What did I leave out, Jenny? Did I catch, well, they, catch it they all? do need to listen to your podcast on ours, uh, your oh, podcast nice. episode, because it's one of our top episodes. It's called hmm. something like You're Scrolling Your Life Away. I mean, it's a really a good one. <laughs> so put that in the show notes, too, because that's a fantastic episode. I know people, I mean, we have gotten comments and emails and messages about that one just time and time and time oh, again. Nice. So it's awesome. Jenny, thank you so much. Thank you for this book. Thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate you and your friendship. Thank you. I know anything related to our kids and how we raise our kids can feel daunting. You want to get it perfect. I I want to encourage you. She says this in uh, chapter seven of her book. She talks about this concept of optimization, the best. Let's not worry about the best. So for your kids, don't worry about totally optimizing this. Just decide, what do you want their child to, childhood to look like? And if it is experiencing some of this, whether it's a thousand hours or 400 hours or a hundred hours, whatever it is, just this concept, this ethos of let's spend some time outside, unstructured play. I think that's the best step is just decide. And then like Jenny says, then you need three things. You need a first aid kit, food, and a friend. So it's a great place to start. And for a parent like me, it's not too late. We can begin now. Please do go get a copy of Until the Streetlights Come On by Jenny Urich. Check the show notes for everything else. Listen to their podcast. Very, very grateful for Jenny, for her time today, for this book, and for the movement 1,000 Hours Outside. I hope you enjoyed it. Share it with a friend. uh, And we can't wait to see you again next week on the RO Podcast. The RO Podcast is produced and edited by the team at Palm Tree Podco. Special thanks to Emily Miles for video and digital support and to our executive producer, RO's own, Caitlin Farley.